sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. All right, well, this is going to be our last sermon in the series called King Jesus to the Rescue, where we're talking about the gospel and what the gospel means for us and what it means for the world. But before we jump into our text this week, I'd like to tell you about a uh, um, youth and young adult class that, uh, that I was a part of a, a little while back and uh, what they talked about. See, they were discussing the creation story in Genesis. Well, the creation slash fall story, really. And they got to this part on Genesis 2, 15 through 17, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall die. So one of the bright young people popped up and they said, I thought God told Adam that the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But um, he didn't. Shouldn't Adam have dropped dead the day he ate that fruit? What's the deal with this? Was God just making an idle threat? Or was he promising some kind of a spiritual death, like a metaphor of death? Or did God just take mercy on Adam and, and not follow through with what he said he was going to do? Well, I don't really think any of that stuff is true. The, the youth leader piped up and she told him the right thing. She said, well, it's, it's not that Adam would have dropped dead. It's that if Adam hadn't sinned, he would never have died. If Eve hadn't sinned, she never would have died. And Adam and Eve didn't immediately die after eating the fruit, but they did die, right? They're still not knocking around today. The consequence of that sin was that death was ushered into the world. And before that sin, death wasn't a thing. God didn't create us to die. God created us to live. Death is a result of sin. And I want us to keep that in mind as we read today's scripture. We have been reading in Acts, in some of the earliest proclamations of the gospel in the book of Acts, but I'm skipping us over to one of the epistles today, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because I think it gets to um, kind of the end result of this gospel hope that we've been talking about all month long. So we're going to hop over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Here's what it says. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that, the Lord, your, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the course of this series, we've talked about the gospel and how it's good news for us as individuals, right? We've talked about how the good news is that Jesus forgives me for my sins, right? I, I get to, to be justified in faith. That he, he gives us victory over death, that Jesus... It, we get to participate in Jesus' victory over death and we get a new life. We get freedom from sin. We get sanctified by grace, right? We, we get to live the life here and now in an increasingly sanctified way. And all of this is true. The gospel is incredibly good news for you and for me as individuals. God's doing an awful lot of heavy lifting on my behalf as, a, as an individual human being. But the good news of the gospel does not stop with what God does for me as an individual human. Right? It's not like each of us individually gets all of these benefits and then the whole rest of the world is going to burn. And, and too often we've been taught that and believed it. But the fact of the matter is the gospel is good news for the whole world. That's good news for Jesus, too. Jesus came into the earth to usher in a kingdom, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago and how Paul treated the Old Testament in his, his presentation of the gospel. The gospel didn't just start with me and end with me. It started with what God was doing through God's people all along. And it's going to culminate with God's kingdom on earth. Jesus spent his time on earth preaching and teaching and demonstrating the values of that kingdom. He didn't just come and die on the cross. He, he demonstrated this kingdom life to you and me. And then he died and then he rose again. Jesus died to establish that kingdom, and he rose to empower that kingdom in victory. And he established the church to spread that kingdom across the globe. And he's coming again to consummate that victory and reign as king over all the earth. That is the good news of the gospel. It's not just that I get snatched out of the fires of hell, just me. It's that... King Jesus is going to come and reign. It's that King Jesus is going to set right everything that sin messed up. 
Jesus is going to clothe the world in imperishability again. And we're going to regain what we lost as a result of sin in the garden. And I don't know about you, but this week, in particular, I need to be reminded of that. Think of all the stuff we just prayed about. The 13 soldiers that lost their lives in Afghanistan as a result of an ISIS attack. The hurricane bearing down on the Gulf Coast that shows every sign of being just as bad as Katrina or worse. Every day I hear about more people that have contracted or hospitalized or died from COVID. And I don't know about you, but this week in particular, I need to hear that Jesus has victory over all of that stuff. That the good news of the gospel is that death and destruction and corruption doesn't have the final word in this world, but rather King Jesus does. And that's what Paul gets to in 1 Corinthians 15. I love, he's almost has this taunting nature about death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And, and, and in the moments where it feels like the sting of death is, is all around us, where death is going to have victory, Paul reminds us that that sting is nothing compared to the power of Jesus. This isn't God just politely doing away with death. Paul's saying death's got mud on its face. It's a big disgrace, and God's kicking its can all over the place. Jesus is dealing with death in a decisive manner, in a victory that cannot be fought. Jesus is delivering a roundhouse kick to the face of sin while he's at it. King Jesus doesn't have any room for sin when his kingdom arrives in full. When, when Jesus comes to establish this imperishability, he does not have time to deal with sin and death and corruption and sickness and COVID and hurricanes and war. He does not want to deal with it in his kingdom. The world will be rid of the scourge of sin and death and holiness will reign and rule and the law will be obsolete. It's not that the law will go away. It's just that we won't need it anymore. Jesus will take what broke in the garden, reverse it, and make it right again. And that's good news for the whole world. It's good news for everybody and everything. The gospel isn't just that we individuals get forgiven and saved and rescued. It's that the world gets restored to the way it was in the garden. Jesus' victory is the gospel. The redemption of all creation is on the way. So that gives us a choice, right? We get to take part in this glorious redemption of all things. Or not. We can join in this new thing that God is doing. Or 
we can choose to cling to our own selfishness, to our own sin, to our own agenda, and lose out. Because God is restoring all of creation, but He is not going to restore that creation with sin intact. Right? Or a couple weeks ago, we talked about heaven isn't heaven if sin's there. Heaven isn't heaven if you have to lock your door at night to your heavenly mansion. Which means that if we persist in sin, if we refuse to give up our sin, if we set ourselves on the other side of God, that means that we cannot take part in the imperishability of the new creation. We just can't. We have to choose. We can keep on sinning or we can take part in what God is doing. Seems like an easy choice to me, but, you know, <laughs> when that temptation comes, it, it feels a lot harder, doesn't it? I, I played football in high school. You would be forgiven if you did not mistake me for an athlete. But uh, when I was in high school, I played football, and I was on the defensive line. And I tell you what, there was nothing worse than getting on that bus and heading home after an away game after you lost. It was miserable. I mean, you just sit there, and you try to be quiet, try to get some sleep. Sometimes if it was particularly close, you're trying not to cry on the bus in front of your buddies. Just to know that when you go out and give it all on the field, expend yourself, do work your hardest, play your heart out for something, and still lose? Oh my gosh, that's a rough bus ride. That's a tough feeling. Those were some quiet miles. And I, I went to high school in Augusta. We played a lot of games in Macon. And there is not a short way from Augusta to Macon. And it was some tough bus rides. Somber, uncomfortable affairs. But if we won, oh, if we won the football game, it was the complete opposite. If you win an away game and then you're heading back in the bus with all of your buddies that you, you've gone out and bled on that field with, it's awesome. Our coach, Andrew Kramer, would lead us in the Indiana Jones theme song as soon as we crossed the threshold of the other school's team. He'd go, hold, hold, and as soon as the tires left, we would start singing the Indiana Jones song for some reason. It was just this tradition we had. It was awesome. And we would shout the bus driver's name. I forgot his name. But we would shout the bus driver's name, and he'd hold up his fist in victory, and we would go, yeah! And uh, Steve Green would rap the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song in its entirety for some reason. I mean, it was awesome. I don't know. We had the weird traditions at our school. But, but they were cool. We had a party on the bus all the way back home. When, you, when you're in victory, it's a lot easier to pour out yourself, to pour out your energy on the field when you think you're going to go home in victory than it is when you know you're going to go home in defeat. 
And this is why Paul assures us that our labor is not in vain. That's what he says. Our labor is not in vain. All the sacrifices we make for holiness, every time that we love someone that seems unlovable, every time we feed the poor and tend to the sick, we're making a down payment for the victory of a restored Eden. We're working with King Jesus to bring about some good news for the whole world. And the good thing about it is we know that we're not going to have the sad bus ride at the end. We know that we're going to have the happy bus ride because the victory is already in the can. The king already paid the price. And our team wins. So we can be steadfast and immovable because we know that King Jesus will win out against sin and death on the end. And that gives us the confidence to leave it all on the field, knowing that our reward is assured. Victory is in the bag, and King Jesus has got us. So especially during these hard times, especially when we look around and there's so much sadness and sorrow and anxiety around us. It can help knowing that every person we love, every loved one we mourn, every time we give of our time and our effort and ourselves and our emotions to love our neighbors, it is a down payment to the victory that's coming. And that's good news. It's good news that God is doing a good thing from the world and that our labor is not in vain. Jesus is the king. He is going to win. So let's redouble our efforts to love our neighbors during this uncertain time. Let's redouble our efforts to do good for the kingdom during this time. Not to worry about our own, I don't know, rights. Not to worry about our own selves. Not to bicker and fuss and complain. Don't get on the internet and complain about stuff. That doesn't do anybody any good. What does good is for us to exhaust ourselves in loving our neighbors right where we are. Knowing that the victory is around the corner. And that's some good news. Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us a gift, a gift of assurance of victory. As Paul writes, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And we can say that in confidence because we know that you are doing the work. You've already done the work on the cross through the resurrection that your spirit is moving throughout this world, pouring out your love on people. So God, let us not hold on to our own sin. Let's not hold on to our own selfish desires. But God, help us to pour ourselves out for our neighbors, knowing that the victory is around the corner. Comfort us, Father, when we need comfort. Remind us of your victory. Remind us of your triumph over sin and death so that we can 
do the work to make your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Show us how, God. In your name I pray. Amen.